This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Jerry Yegar in for John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for the seventh of the seventh month. The five things you need to know. TTC officials say violence unacceptable after a passenger is stabbed on the subway. Cell phone service coming to several TTC stations this fall for some customers. Activists want cooling centers for the homeless amid heat and air quality alerts. Experts say air travel may not be easy this summer, and the Titanic sub-search could potentially cost taxpayers millions. Forecast for today, a mix of sun and cloud, 30% chance of showers in the morning. The high today, 28, with a humidex of 33. Sunshine on Saturday, a high of 27 and a humidex of 30. Cooler Sunday, cloudy and a high of 24. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. All right, why not make it a full week? I'm Jerry Egar in for John Moore again today. He won't be in tomorrow, that's for sure. Well, you know what? I don't care, because as of 9 o'clock this morning, I'm going on vacation. More on vacations uh, and what Canadians are doing with them coming up in a moment on the show. But uh, I'm going on vacation. So if he's still sick next week, I they got to find somebody else. Maybe we can ask Robert Turner to host it. Yeah. He contacted me yesterday. He said, we need you again tomorrow morning for the morning show. And I wrote back, absolutely not. There's a double header. <laughs> I'm going to be busy. I watched both those games. I went to bed at 11.30, got up at 2.15. You're a trooper, Jerry. Oh, I'm coffeeed up. I'm ready to go. Okay, so filling in for John, I've always uh, opened with a joke. This isn't specifically a joke, but everybody I've told it to laughs, so I'll tell it to you. Um, and here it is. It, it, it was like an ad of some kind. But the scene opens with a, with a guy clearly at a, a, a club or a, a workout place or whatever, and he's, he's showered and he's, got, he's just getting his shirt on and putting his tie on, and he's facing toward us as if we're behind the mirror. And as, he, as he's getting his tie looped around his neck, cell phone rings. He reaches down, pushes the button, says, hello? And you hear a woman say, are you at the club? Yep. Look, look, um, we've got that event coming up in a couple of weeks, and I know, I know it's a lot, but I'm out shopping right now, and I, I found this dress. Oh, my God. Uh, it, it, but it's, it's $1,000. He goes, okay. And she says, oh, really? Okay, well, also, um, I dropped by the Mercedes dealership, and, uh, and she starts talking about wanting to buy this car, and uh, he goes, all right. And she says, oh, okay. So she's on a roll. So she says to him, you know that house we tried to buy a couple of years ago and we didn't get it? It's back on the market. He goes, uh-huh. She said, I, I think I should put in an offer. And he says, try not to go above 1.4. She goes, okay, okay, you're the best. You're the best, honey. And she hangs up. And he reaches down and picks up the phone and turns around and holds it up and goes, does anybody know whose phone this is? It's a sweet, sweet Friday! All right. Oh, we got a vote on text for Robert Turner. Miss him uh, on the... He used to do 5 to 5.30. Has that his wife who voted, was it? Yeah, get him out of the house. 
<laughs> That's exactly right. Um, so, uh, so I said we'd talk about vacations. Um, actually, there was some research done on uh, with the cost of living, the cost of groceries, everything that people are dealing with today. What are Canadians in general deciding to do this summer regarding vacations? And we have a CTV report from Alison Hurst. Canadians are tightening their belts, cutting back on summer trips as the cost of living soars. We can't go and do, you know, big trips or anything like that because yeah. of because of cost. Kyle Vanderlinden counts himself lucky. He has a family cottage to go to. Groceries for sure, uh, gas, uh, property tax, everything is more expensive nowadays. Yeah, so there's nothing cheap. Enjoying family and friends cottages is what Helena Willicki plans to do. Due to the price of gas and even um, airlines and the way they're functioning as well as their prices, it's just making it more air increasingly difficult. A new Nanos research poll shows 38% of Canadians are planning on spending less on summer travel this year. That's more than previous years. S staying local is the key right now. Uh, doing uh, day trips that are in and around the city. Victor Delcy's family would normally go south of the border for a trip, but this year they plan to stay closer to home. Ensuring uh, a, that we're bringing our own food, so we're not actually buying food elsewhere in other provinces or in the states. Cost is something that's very difficult to uh, get around. This travel expert is not surprised to see this trend. If you're looking at airfare for the first time, especially compared to the pre-pandemic, you might notice fares are two times the price, three times the price. Christine Lamarena is planning a trip to Europe at the end of the summer to visit her husband's family. To make that happen, they're cutting back on other trips. We usually do at least one or two local cottages per summer, uh, but um, you know the, the price of those have risen this summer, and we—I don't think we just can afford it if we want to have a big trip towards the end of the summer. The poll surveyed 1,055 Canadians over the age of 18 between June 29th and 30th. All right, so. How's that working out for you? I'm, I said that I'm going on vacation. Actually, later this afternoon, I'm flying to Dallas. So, yeah, I'm, I'm taking a vacation away. But here's the thing. My cost is the plane ticket. That's it. Okay, I'll overspend at my son's restaurant and bar. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but I, I consider that an investment in the family. Uh, but I stay at my son's house. So if you take a, like, don't you do that, Nick? You go to New York? Like, don't you have people that you stay with or when you go to Florida? Whether they like it or not, yes. Yes, but yeah, I'm coming. <laughs> yeah, actually, about a month ago, I was down in Fort Myers with my friend Roy's place, and we stayed at his, his house, and uh, it was great. Yeah, and that just, that changes the whole dynamic of a vacation. Like, if I was, if I thought, well, I'm going to fly to Dallas, and I'm going to get a hotel and do events and all that stuff, well, then that would be, yeah, that's a, that's a lot of money. But not only that, uh, even like renting a car, I don't have to rent a car because that's right. was my transportation. And Good point. I, because, yeah, my son has a car. I need the car. That's how it works when it's your son. <laughs> hey, I need the car. That's when he charges you rent. No, you know what the other thing is, though? He has a, my wife's there right now, and she wrote to me, and she said, by the way, he has a list for you. And I wrote back, and I said, you mean a to-do list? She wrote, yes, exactly that. Exactly that. Nothing is free, Jerry. Nothing is ever free. Um, but I actually enjoy running around doing errands and stuff for him and for his business. You know, go uh, 
Go get this tank of whatever the special gas is they're using on something. You got to drive halfway across Dallas to the one facility that does it. I don't mind doing that. What is the name of the uh, of the son's restaurant? Rye. He has. He claims to have the second largest collection of rye whiskeys in in America. I said, well, why don't you go for first? He goes, no, the guy is first. It's in California and has like 3,000 bottles that are all different. You're going to try every single one just to prove him wrong? <laughs> How many do you think you could actually really tell the difference? Okay. You're going to have to be a rye connoisseur, I guess. Rye whiskey has never been the thing in the United States that it is here in Canada. That's that's the thing. It is just starting to really catch on down there. So it, don't get me wrong. It wasn't that tough for him to be the second, uh, except for that guy who's out of control, um, because it hasn't been a big thing. And he's trying to be part of bringing it about as a, as a thing. Because okay? if you ordered a Ryan whiskey in the United States a little while ago, not that long ago, they would just dump some bourbon in a glass and give, that's what they would do. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. It's a sweet, sweet Friday! Jerry Agar in again for John Moore. We're very hopeful that he will be fine and uh, back Monday. It's going to cause uh, real turbulence in the system if he isn't because I'm not going to be here. I'm, I'm going on vacation after this show, so I don't know what's going to happen. Nick, you want to do it? I have my own show to deal with. Thank you. Well, so do I, but they took me off it. <laughs> Mark Tui is doing it. Mark Tui, by the way, is going to uh, come in with his uh, experienced former Ars, uh, forces, Armed Forces Canada member, Mark Tui, on this cost of $2.4 million for just one RCAF plane to join the Titanic sub search. I think he's going to say, as taxpayers, don't get that alarmed. That might be a hyped up number. Um, but we'll leave it to, to him to inform us on that. That'll be at 7.05 um, this morning. Deb Hutton on the morning brief. An hour from now. Here's a fascinating story because we, we were talking about the vacationing and um, it all tying around the cost of living, how, it ex how expensive life is right now. And I don't know whether this idea is going to come to Canada or the United States because it's a story out of Indonesia, but it's McDonald's. McDonald's is everywhere. And here's the new thing McDonald's has come up with. After mastering kids' birthday parties, McDonald's has set their sights on weddings. Here's what they're doing. They went on social media in Indonesia to announce they will begin offering catering for couples who are getting married. The wedding Mekdi package. Here's what it includes. And it, in our money, I think it'll cost you about $2 a guest. Okay. So you could have 100 guests. And the package includes 100 chicken sandwiches. 100 four-piece chicken McNuggets orders, a bouquet for the bride, and two gold wedding bands. So there's the full package. It looks to me like the guests have to buy their own drink. That's what, I, that's what it looks like. So it's not an open bar? <laughs> it's an open soda fountain. That's what, for the, for the spendy Indonesian, they would arrange for an open soda fountain. You get a cup. You know how at McDonald's you order a drink. By the way, why would you ever order the large? You can go up and refill on your own. Yeah, I never want, yeah, exactly a great point, right? You say, I'll take a large uh, pop. And like, no, just take the small and go up six times. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I play it down the middle. I take the medium. 
Okay. I don't have to go up there that often. So this is an interesting concept. Weddings at McDonald's, they're really loving it. But you know what? You walk away, every wedding usually has a favor. You walk away with a toy. Yeah, and, and, and could you imagine walking up to a McDonald's and the sign says closed for special event? <laughs> like, at, you know, fancier restaurants <laughs> or places like that. Congratulations to Bill and Mary. Yeah. <laughs> so who would, hold on, who would officiate the wedding? Ronald McDonald? Well, you're going to have to, No. I, then, then you're just mocking a wedding, aren't you? At that point, you know. Uh, look, we're, we're having a lot of fun with this, but the fact of the matter is, it's lots of people who don't have much money, and this way, maybe they can get a hundred people together at a facility and all have a good time. And I would specifically want to do this at one with a playland, so the kids had something to do. I mean, if you're really up against it, but you want to get married anyway, then I think this is a this is a good idea. And where is this again? In Indonesia? It's in Indonesia. So we don't know whether or not this is going to come to America. If it does, you know what's going to happen. People will be making fun of, you know, the hillbillies who got married. But I look at this and say it's an opportunity for low-income people, and God bless them. Honey, I just got an invitation for a destination wedding. Where are we going? To Indonesia. Great. Yeah. At McDonald's. I think if you can afford to fly to Indonesia, you probably don't need this McDonald's package. But that said, tomorrow is the 10th anniversary of Lakmagantic disaster, that uh, train disaster that happened there. And we're going to go back to 10 years ago tomorrow when this was reported by Dave Agar, who was... Well, he is the legendary uh, newscaster for this state. How long was he here? Easily like, 30 years. Was I thought he was like 43 years, but maybe it was 43 years in the business. Totally, yeah. He, yeah. A long time. But here for over 30 years. Okay. Um, and uh, here, here's what Dave Agar was reporting. Family and friends are being told to expect more bodies to be found following Saturday night's runaway train through Lac Megantic in eastern Quebec near the border with Maine. There were five locomotives hauling 72 tanker cars filled with oil being shipped from North Dakota to New Brunswick. The train was supposed to have been secured in a nearby town for an overnight shift change. Somehow the air brakes failed or weren't put on properly, and the weight of the tankers pushed the train downhill into the town, coming detached from the locomotives, jumping the tracks that ran right through the downtown core. Reporter Claude Beaulieu of our Bell Media affiliate in Montreal, CJD, says that the local bar was open late at night, and it seemed to take the brunt of the blast. There were about, they figured, between 40 and 60 people inside the bar, many other people on the terrace outside, on the other side of the building. The people on the terrace likely were able to get away. The people in the building, it's likely that the, most of them were trapped inside there. About 30 buildings were leveled so far, five confirmed deaths, but around 40 still not accounted for. What a tragedy. And as we're approaching this 10th anniversary of that event tomorrow, I've seen some stories where people in the business are warning this kind of thing could happen again. That Maybe um, we haven't learned all the lessons from. And doesn't that always seem to be the case? Oh, lessons were learned. And then you find out later, yes, but not acted on. That's, that seems to be uh, the issue. I hope that uh, we never have to report something like that again, though. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Thanks for being along. I'm Jerry Agar in for John Moore again this morning. 
Do you remember this story? It was back in March. I'm looking at a CTV report from March the 4th of this year. And this is what we learned. Toronto spending $9 million to rescue a micro-tunneling boring machine stuck underground. When they say micro-tunnel boring, it's, you know, smaller than what they use for the subways, I guess. But still, it digs a significant hole uh, to be used as... um, kind of a flood mitigation, I think, is what it was supposed to be used for. But here's what the story said March the 4th of this year. The city of Toronto has issued an emergency contract to a construction company to retrieve a boring machine that's been stuck underground in the West End for nine months after it became entangled in steel wires. This report is from March. It had already been there for nine months. Okay, keep that in mind. The contract, valued at just under $9 million, a matter of extreme urgency, as there was a significant health and safety hazard to the public. And this is around uh, Old Mill Drive near Bloor Street West. The machine was digging this tunnel. And somehow it diverted a little bit, the story says. Maybe somebody didn't do a good enough job of planning ahead and knowing what was underground there because the machine's front cutting end became ensnared in steel tiebacks, buried wires previously used to brace shoring from two mid-rise development excavations in the area. And the machine was then stopped in its tracks and a tangled mess and required a rescue effort. So nine months went by, and on March the 4th of this year, CTV told us a $9 million contract was given to get this thing fixed. And on March the 4th of this year, the city's report in February said it expects to be fully removed by the end of the month, by the end of March. Here's a story today from the CBC. Boring machine rescue nearly triples in price. Cost to remove trapped equipment now up to $25 million. The updated cost estimates and timeline come to Toronto's General Government Committee next week. Documents show work to free the tunneling machine has jumped to $25 million from the estimated $9 million in the beginning. And the work to remove it has taken six months longer than anticipated. What really hurts about this story is this is, this is like normal <laughs> at Toronto City business, isn't it? And, and any kind of project. The work to dig a new storm sewer on Old Mill uh, Drive began in March of 2022. So that's what they were trying to put in was a storm sewer. And it was designed to address chronic basement flooding in the area. And the machine was to be placed 18 meters below ground level and travel 282 meters to a pre-constructed exit shaft on uh, Bloor Street West. And then it had this snafu. And apparently they're saying, yeah, well, the problem is there's a lot of water. Isn't that why you put it in there, like to mitigate against water? Why is it a big surprise that there's water? Um, There's always an excuse. Doesn't it kind of feel like, am I being unfair? Nick, am I being unfair saying there's always an excuse? Maybe it's because I'm just weary of every city project is incredibly over timeline and uh, doubles, triples in cost. What was that adage, um, measure twice, cut once? 
Well, yes. Yeah, Me- measure twice, bore once, maybe is where we should go. Um, Councilor Gord Perks said the water infiltration has been a problem and wet weather hasn't helped matters. All right. So we're up to 25 million. Start an office pool on your own as to how much the final cost will be and which year this will get done. And if you live nearby that thing, I, I'm sorry for you. Now, John Moore is not here, but he often does interviews, and he'll play you a couple of clips from the interview, and then um, the full interview is played on the weekend on News Talk 1010. And in this case, he, he has sent us the, the audio of an interview he did with a comedian named Mike Ward. Mike Ward apparently is going to be appearing tonight at the Great Hall, Queen Street West. And uh, he's been, Mike Ward's been in a fight for a number of years with the courts, various levels of court. And the Supreme Court decided eventually that he uh, didn't do anything illegal. What he did was certainly, I think, to some degree, cringeworthy. There's a, there was a young lad who was 13 at the time that Mike Ward started making fun of him. He's a handicapped kid, and he was getting some notoriety in Quebec, I guess, as a singer. And Mike Ward made fun of him in what seemed to be kind of a cruel fashion. The, the, the kid involved said that at the time uh, it affected him so badly he, he actually considered suicide, being made fun of the way that he was. Um, you might remember this story when it first went into court, but ultimately Mike Ward lost in court. Then he appealed and he went to another level of court and then he appealed and he went to the Supreme Court and he won in a five to four decision with the Supreme Court saying that, in their opinion, Mike Ward didn't make fun of the kid because he's handicapped. He made fun of him because he was famous as a singer, a public personality, and that um, the fact that kids at school took these jokes up and put them in the face of the kid was not Mike Ward's fault. So that was the decision of the court, whether you agree or you disagree. The court couldn't all agree. It was a five to four decision. But John Moore talked to Mike Ward ahead of his appearance tonight here in Toronto. Um, And here's a part of it on rethinking the joke that landed him in court. There's a comic here in Montreal called Eddie King, and he's a black comedian. And one time we were talking if white comics should be allowed to do black jokes, like make fun of black people. And he said, I think you should if you'd be able to do it in front of a 100% black room. And that's what I've been doing ever since he told me that. Like if I have a bit about gay people, I'll test it in a gay club. And, And same thing, like when I write jokes about disabled people, I'll do a benefit where there's a lot of disabled people. And see if I had that mentality when I'd written a joke about that little kid years ago, I probably would have done it in front of him. And then I would have seen, okay, he doesn't appreciate this. So I would have stopped it. So I would have done it once, maybe twice, and it would have ended there. Whereas now I did it for a whole tour. And uh, whenever people talk about me or Google me, it looks like I'm still doing that joke like 15 years later. I did that joke for one tour and then, you know, as soon as we recorded it, the joke retired. All right. So that's Mike Ward, and he'll be performing tonight at the Great Hall, Queen Street West, here in Toronto. So what will this show sound like? Like in this show, uh, Noel, that I'm doing at the Great Hall, I'm doing a... It has a lot to do with my whole court thing. I have a long, long bit about the Human Rights Commission. And here in Quebec, two of the people at the Human Rights Commission got caught in pedophilia scandals. So I go in great detail. I talk about these people's lives that they tried to ruin my life. 
So I'm, I guess I'm trying to ruin theirs. And then it's just uh, stories about how um, when I was a kid, I used to get bullied a lot as a kid and how I overcame that. I have a story about uh, suicide. It's all pretty dark subjects, but in a, in a fun way. It's, it, yeah, it's all the, like if you, if I just told, if I tell people just the subject, it sounds like it's the most depressing show in the world, but it's actually really fun. All right, that's Mike Ward, and he spoke with John Moore. Um, that interview will play 1 o'clock tomorrow morning, later on tonight. Uh, and then um, Saturday night, 11 o'clock. Saturday night at 11. Okay. Um, uh, by the way, uh, quickly, here's another entertainment-related story. We were talking earlier uh, about the propensity now of people to throw things at entertainers. Apparently, Drake was performing, and somebody threw a cell phone at him. I paid way too much money for my cell phone to be throwing it at anybody. Much less I'm in concert. Like, you bought a ticket to the thing. Do you not enjoy Drake? It's similar, but when um, a hockey player scores a hat trick and everyone throws their $40, $50, $60 hats on the ice. Yeah, it's a lot of money for one of those hats. Um, apparently Drake got hit in the hand and he just kept on going. He didn't even acknowledge it really quickly because we got to go to traffic here. I went to a performance of Roger Daltrey from The Who. It wasn't The Who. It was Roger Daltrey, but he was doing that whole album, Tommy. And Roger Daltrey does that thing where he swings the microphone on the cord and snaps it back and catches it. And he uses a Shure SM58 mic, which has a cage on it, kind of. Cut his hand open. It was blood falling off his hand onto the stage. He never missed a note. A guy ran out and bandaged up his hand, he never missed a note. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, Jerry Agar in for John Moore. Here's something that I think a lot of people would find very irksome. Driving.ca reports this. I wasn't aware this was happening. Well, I haven't bought a car for a long, long time, uh, actually. So I, I don't know what's going on in uh, dealership uh, showrooms and um, little offices where you sign the paperwork. But here's what's happening. And this is in part, I guess, because there's some shortage of vehicles. Forced financing. Have you ever heard of that? So they profile the story of an Oshawa resident, Tammy Hamilton, and her husband. They were thrilled to find a car that they really liked, a 2017 Subaru BRZ Sporttech on a local dealer's lot. And everything was going well. Everything was terrific. The sales rep was terrific. They really wanted this 2017 vehicle. Um, Maybe it's one of those vehicles you'd want to buy because it's not on that list of stuff that gets stolen all the time. Um, but whatever the reason is, that's what they wanted. But once they were in the finance office, she says, we were told we had to take financing on the car. I said, we didn't want or need financing. We wanted to purchase the car. They'd saved up. They didn't want to pay a whole lot of interest. They had the money. But then there were all kinds of, as they write it in driving.ca, excuses, manipulations, and while not illegal, certainly questionable reasons why they had to take the offered financing. And they were told, essentially, look, you're going to finance the vehicle through us or don't buy it. We'll sell it to somebody else. We're not that worried about it, which is uh, quite an attitude to give somebody who's come and honored you with their business, I think. But apparently it's not illegal to do this. It's obvious why the dealership would want the customer to finance the car through them. There may be where they make a, 
a good chunk of their money. I don't know what the profit would be on the car itself and then the profit on the financing. I'm not in the car business, but clearly they make more money if they finance it than if they just sell it straight out. She said, I told them I wanted my deposit to be everything except for the seven months of financing they were forcing on us. I was told they would not take more than half the price of the car as a deposit. I had to finance the rest. I was also told I couldn't cancel the loan until the seventh month point because they would lose their fee from the lender. He made me sign a paper that said if I closed the loan before seven months, they would charge my credit card $750 to make up that fee. I asked them to use my bank, uh, CIBC, and the papers came back with BMO on them. Now, uh, apparently, Driving.ca, having talked to sales managers at various dealerships, say some dealerships do this, some do not. The ones who do not, of course, um, malign the ones who do. Say, well, we don't treat customers that way, and good for them. And, of course, what does happen is customers do walk. Well, I'm not putting up with this. Would you? I don't think I would, and unless it was a situation where I was looking to finance anyway, but I think I would do that with my bank. But I'm not your financial advisor. You don't take financial advice from me because I'm, not, I'm no financial genius. Uh, driving.ca says if you're in the market for a car and you are used and you don't require or have arranged your own financing, Make this the first question you ask when you walk through a dealership's door. Don't look at the stock and don't fall in love unless you know exactly what their business practices are. That's really good advice because you fall in love with the vehicle and then it's uh, then you really want to buy it. Um, by the way, this was a Subaru and driving CA contacted Subaru Canada. And here's their statement. We've been troubled since learning of this situation and do not condone the actions taken by the dealership's finance and insurance office in this instance. We we don't stand behind forced measures and are addressing this matter. Okay, but it's a used car. It doesn't actually say here in driving CA that they that this was at a Subaru dealership. You know, you're getting a used car. You could be getting it anywhere. Uh, but I think that's pretty good advice at the end. Do you think you'd walk, Nick, if they were trying to force a loan on you? I think um, many experts have um, suggested that you should be able to be ready to walk away from a deal if you don't think it's going to be you know, good for you. So yeah. you should always be able to get ready to walk away from it because, and we've talked to many um, former colleagues here who are in the car business and other car experts, including people from driving.ca. They said, you know what? We're selling emotion. Yeah. You know, you fall in love with a car. You fall in love with, with the experience and everything else. And then you forget about all the other paperwork. So be ready to walk away, I think, is the best advice anybody has given us. There's a possibility that I'll be in the market for a car in the fall. And I've been thinking about this. And I think I would go to my bank and I would say, look, I'm, I'm not going to take stuff out of my RRSP or anything to buy the car. Uh, let's talk about what I can do here. Here's how much I'm willing to spend on the car. Here's how much I can put on a down payment. Can we generally, am I going to be able to arrange to finance that through you? And if that's what I'm doing, then I'm walking into a dealership saying, no, I don't need your financing. Yeah, you walk in armed with information, how much you're yeah, willing to pay. And, and I, other advice was uh, try to avoid telling them how much you're willing to pay per month because they will match the car payment to what you say. So if you tell them you're, you're comfortable with, let's say, $500 a month, you will probably pay at least 500 according to some experts. So don't go in there telling them exactly how much you can pay. Just negotiate the other way around. You know what would be fun is if you could literally actually pay for the car. 
Then you make an arrangement with your bank and you withdraw all that money in cash and you have it in a paper bag and you go in and you start negotiating and you say, no, listen, this is what I'm going to pay. And then you dump all the cash all over the desk. See what kind of an impact that has on the sales manager or the sales rep, whoever it is. Yeah, but then you'd have to prove where you got that cash from. No, no, you pre-do that. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I'm saying, because that gets irksome as well. But, you know, you only have to prove that sort of thing if you can say, if, if you prove that it's your money. It's your money. It's not illegal to have a whole lot of money yet. Um, okay, so, uh, Nick, Joe, have you guys signed up for Thread, this, uh, this Facebook meta competitor to Twitter? I did, like, immediately as soon as it became available, mainly so I could park my name. I didn't want someone else to take it from me. Oh, I see. Okay. Nick? Yes, I did. Okay. My first opportunity, I had a chance. How is it different than Instagram? Like, it basically is just an extension of Instagram, it seems to me. I signed up, Jerry Agar 1010, in part for the same reason that uh, Joe mentioned. Um, And, you know, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. uh, Now I'm on Thread. I'm popular. I have, I signed up last night during the baseball game. I have eight followers. You have nine now. Why? Did you just Yeah, I just me? did. So yeah. approve me. One of the other ones is Adjua. <laughs> it's just people from the radio station, basically. Make it 10. Do I hear 10 going hey, once? I have over 20,000 followers on Twitter, okay? Uh, so I'm not a complete loser. Uh, <laughs> well, what you should do is you should go on Twitter and say, hey, follow me on threads. I, I guess, but I'm looking at it and thinking, do I really need this? I've already got Twitter and Instagram. I mean, How's this going to work out? That's what I'm wondering. Because I, I'm looking at it. Uh, and it, it looks like sort of Twitter or sort of Instagram. I don't, I don't get where there's anything new and wonderful here. It's not Twitter. Maybe that's it. Well, okay. But I did make one post and it is this recently. What I did, um, essentially on the advice of my wife is I stopped interacting with people on Twitter. I still post, here's a link to my column or here's a link to an article and why I find the article interesting. And then people, you know, the, the, the crazies on Twitter rise up and make stupid arguments. And I don't care. I, I just, I don't respond. I haven't responded now for months on Twitter and it's been better for my mental health. But what I posted on uh, threads once I signed up for it was, I stopped responding to the stupid arguments on Twitter. Is this going to be any better? And my prediction is no, because it'll be all the same people. It'll be just a matter of time before it gets vile. Before it gets, yes. By the way, like three o'clock this afternoon. That's how much time. What was your handle again on threads? On everything. On Instagram, on Twitter, and on uh, threads. It's Jerry, with a J, Jerry Agar, A-G-A-R. One zero one zero, Jerry Agar ten ten. Coincidentally, I'm Jerry Agar in for John Moore on News Talk ten ten. You've been listening to the Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from five to nine on News Talk ten ten.